0: And welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. I am really honored to have a woman who I admire greatly, who took a Personal need and turned it into a successful business. We often hear about finding the customer pain point. And the best businesses I find have a founder or someone involved who understands personally why something is important. And our guest really does understand that. And today I'm really pleased to welcome Dawn Fitch, who is the CEO of Puka Pure and Simple a bath and body product line. And we're going to hear about her career journey and how she has learned to make adjustments as her business grows. So welcome Dawn.
1: Hi, Karen. I'm very excited to be here to talk to you today.
0: I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited. (laughs) Give us a short outline, bio of who you are.
1: Well, Puka is a natural bath and body company and I started it 20 years ago in my kitchen and, you know, I started it because I got sick. I was working for Sony Music in the design industry, living my best life, going into the city. And one day I was walking and just started to feel tingly and went numb from the waist down. And uh, they called the ambulance and, you know, took me to the hospital and, you know, I got the feeling back. And the doctor was like, you know, go home. Must have just been a pinched nerve. And that started like a five-year journey of just visiting so many doctors trying to figure out what was wrong with me. So the business started out of a need to just be healthier because I kept going to these doctors and they kept saying, no, no, you're fine. Go home. I'm like, if you're telling me I'm fine. Go home. And I still feel sick. I have to do something. So I changed my diet, you know, took out white flour, white sugar, tried to take out pork. Um, And I read a great article about your skin, you know, your largest organ and what you put on goes in your system. So I said, I'm not going to clean out the inside without cleaning out the outside. So I just started making stuff for myself, just wanted to be healthier. And I really got into aromatherapy, love that, love the essential oils, and I would burn them and feel better. And I'm a graphic artist by trade. So everything I made, I put a nice little meat label on it. And my mom, for some reason, when we were little, called us a pucalita's weed. She didn't even know what that means, but we know it was a term of endearment. So I used to just put "pukalita" on all my bottles, but I couldn't fit it. So I cut it in half, called it "puka." And the big joke is with my friends, I had so much stuff in my apartment. Like I became that annoying. Oh, you got a mosquito bite? I can make something. Oh, yeah, Ashley, I could do something for you. Oh, you got a stretch mark? Here you go. They're like, okay, Dawn. But I always say I don't cook. So if you come to my house, you're really probably not going to eat, but you'll always be moisturized. A really important thing. (laughs) So my friends are like, you have so much stuff in your apartment. Why don't you just take it to a local festival in New Jersey? We set up a table and we sold out. And I was like, people bought stuff that I made on my kitchen stove. And I always say we spent so many years catching up to the business because we really didn't plan for it to be a business. It sort of just happened. And it was God's blessing. It's been 20 years. We've had an amazing journey. We did Essence. Thank you. And we've been on Black Enterprise and Today Show. and We're in Whole Foods stores now. We sell online. It's been an amazing journey. Like I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've been able to do through this business.
0: And it's fascinating, like we talk about divine order, God planted that name in your mother's head for just such a time as this, you know?
1: Yeah, nobody knows where it came from, like you're right, divine order.
0: Would you consider your path into the beauty industry a destination or a detour?
1: I think a destination on the way to another destination, but not a detour because I stayed here a long time. And I'm enjoying it, but I see so many other places where I know I'm supposed to go. So eventually I'm going to go on over there. I think I'm still going to come back and visit, but I'm going to go over there.
0: So is it a rest stop to the destination? Yeah,
1: I like that. Yes.
0: Haven't used that one before, but I think that that's apropos to what you're talking about because you see something greater. So this is your stop before the destination.
1: Yes.
0: Let's back up a little bit before you were an entrepreneur. As you talked about, you're a graphic designer. So tell me about your first job. What was it, and how did you go about getting it?
1: My first job, actually, I was administrative assistant. I think I did that for a year. But my second job was super interesting because I taught elementary art. I did the alternate route. And if you have a degree in a correlating field, they were looking for teachers. So I spent two years being an elementary art school teacher, and I did not enjoy it at all. (laughs) (laughs) Meant to do art and some people are meant to teach art. And I was teaching elementary, so I had like the babies, but I was put in a school with severely handicapped children. So taping paintbrushes to kids with missing limbs, I had a lot of children that had emotional disorders, so they would try to jump out the window. But I realized quickly that I am more of the artist rather than the teacher. So that was my first job, but it was a good job.
0: What skill do you think you learned there that set you up for success?
1: Patience. Oh, my goodness. Patience. And things are not going to happen on the first time. I taught those children the color red every day. I'm like, we just did that yesterday. Okay, this is red. So repetition, patience, and learning that you're going to do things once, you're going to do things twice, sometimes three times before it sticks. But when it sticks, it
0: sticks. Emma, must has been challenging. And you're coming from an alternative career path in a special education environment, differently abled student, which you, know, you haven't been taught how to work with them. So that's a challenge. And teaching younger people is a skill set. Some people are gifted in that. So I'm not one of them. I love working with young people, but the day-to-day, I don't think I'm gifted in that as well. So what I'm hearing from you is recognize when a fit is not a fit. Exactly. So how did you get into graphic design?
1: Um, it's so funny. I went to school for business. I mean, look, I'm 53 years old. So when I went to college, you did business. And I went to school and I was taking my classes and I was feeling every class. And finally I came home and this is why you got to thank God for your mama. My mother looked at me. Now, meanwhile, my whole entire life, I've been drawing, painting, making stuff. That's what I do. But when I went to college, I was like, I'm going to do business. And my mother was like, Dawn, why aren't you an art major? And it was like light bulb. I was like, oh, I could do that. I went to school that next Monday and changed my major to graphic design, and I have never been happier. And I always say, if my mother never said that, I would be an unhappy, bad accountant somewhere.
0: <laughs> I can't even imagine that. Let's talk about the shift into entrepreneurship. Had you thought about entrepreneurship at all prior to Puka becoming a business? I had. Um, my dad was definitely
1: the entrepreneur of our family. Growing up, we had a business called HHD. And it was a t-shirt business, and we did mugs and caps. Uh, my sister and I had lots of little babysitting businesses. We had a floral design business. So I had always dipped my toe into entrepreneurship just from seeing my family, but I never thought that I would wind up there as my permanent full-time job or my permanent full-time life, should I say. You know, after I left education, I went totally the other way, and I worked with Sony Music. So I was there seven years doing design, working on CD covers. I loved that job. So that's just where I thought I was going to be. So once I really fell in love with that job, I didn't think about entrepreneurship, except for maybe doing some design work on the side, but never having a full career as an entrepreneur.
0: That's interesting. When did you decide to make Puka your full-time job?
1: I always give people credit that actually leave their job. that say, you know, I'm going to leave. I'm going to start this. For me, I had left Sony Music. And I went to work for American Express designing credit cards. A little boring. But I was there maybe six months and they had massive layoffs. So I was laid off. So I was home. Now I was able to do some design and freelance on the side, but I was already out of work. So it wasn't a big stress for me to say, hey, let me keep this up and see what happens here. Now, where my pinnacle decision came was when I was offered another job. I had maybe finally to do of six months. And I was like, all right, am I going to take this new job, which was a pretty good job, or am I going to stay here and and just try to work on this business? And I was excited about it. I could see the potential. I had a great vision for it. And I was like, you're already out, Dawn. Just keep going. So I actually just decided at that point, I'm going to stay and give this a chance.
0: You talked about making products on the stove. Mm -hmm. How did you learn how to do that?
1: I learned out of, like I said, necessity. I was feeling so sick all the time. Besides like not wanting to use anything bad for me inside and out, it also gave me something to do. It just gave me something else to focus on. I definitely believe, especially with autoimmune, a lot of it is your mind. You got to keep your mind right and your mind focused on happy, positive thoughts. So a lot of times, you know, I'd be feeling down, I'm I'd like, nope, get up. I'd pull out some shea butter. And all I did was get recipes online. I would go online. I would Google, like go to Barnes and Nobles and buy recipe books. And it just became such an interesting hobby to me that I can actually make something that I could put on my skin and I would feel better, and my skin would look better. So I enjoyed it like mind and body.
0: And when you were looking at the products you were using, did you start reading labels? How did you assess what should stay and what should go?
1: I started reading labels and it scared me. And I started reading that a lot of them were preservatives and they can have a lot of these products on the shelves for up to two years. And I said, I'm not going to eat old food. I'm not going to put old products on my skin that's going into my system. And I just couldn't understand. I was like, why do we need all of this to hydrate our skin, to moisturize our skin? And I was like, I do not need 30 things that I cannot produce to take my mascara off. So I was like, you know what? Olive oil works just as good. And that's what I would do. I would read and say, this doesn't make any sense. And then I would find a natural alternative um, that worked. And it worked just as good. And a lot of times as I got into aromatherapy, a lot of these products started out as just simple aromatherapy, like Lysol, is thyme. But what they do is they take the essential oil and then they put a whole bunch of chemicals because they need to keep it on the shelf and make it look this color and make it this smooth. So I'm like, you know what? We just need to go back to the natural ingredient. That's all we need.
0: Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. How did you scale up? Um, You're making stuff, making it for friends, making it for festivals. But once you decided to make a business, how did you batch and build?
1: The funny thing with that is we're doing more and more festivals. We're like, all right, let's put up a website. This is Bath and Body. People need to smell and try. At that point, they were not... I hit, like, finished on the website and I thought I was going to get orders. We didn't get any orders on the website. Nobody knew us yet and people wanted to try it. So we would do all these festivals and the best thing we did was get a mailing list. Everywhere we went, we caught those email addresses. I tell everybody now, social media is great, but they actually have to go to your social media site. With their email address, you could put something right in their mailbox. So we made sure to collect all those emails and, you know, we would just go from festival to festival. So we weren't selling online so things got really tight you know maybe a year in you know we were still making products out of my house and i was like you know what i'm gonna have to get a job a friend of mine knew a person who opened a restaurant and said hey he's got a job as a hostess and i was like ah, all right you know i was having my pride moment not that there's anything wrong with that but i was just like well what am i doing now you know being a hostess and blah 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 but two great things came out of this job first of all this man became a mentor to me you know i told him all about the business and he would help me i worked there for a year And after a year, he said, you are really serious about this business. I really love what you're doing. He said, I'm opening up a catering space right next door. He opened up a beautiful catering space. He said, I'm only using this space nights and weekends. He said, if you want, you can use this space as a boutique. He said, and you can use the basement to make your products. And that's how I got out of my apartment and into my first retail store on Bloomfield Avenue in Montclair. God is good. And he was going to charge me, I want to say $500 a month. That man forgot to ask me for rent for two years. he like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get it next time. So such a blessing. We had a store in Montclair and I was able to work in that basement. So I was able to get some equipment because now it's out of my apartment. So I could have a couple of friends. A couple of friends came in. We started ordering things in bulk. And ordering things in bulk was a big thing for us because we got the price cuts and we were like, okay, now we can do more. And since we had more things in bulk... Now we can book more festivals. And we started doing home parties. It was very grassroots 20 years ago. It wasn't as much social media. We did loads of puka parties. Tell your friends, have a party. You would go to the house, set up. They would shop and leave. And then somebody would refer us to somebody else. And we did parties for almost two years. That was our main source of income was parties and festivals. That's amazing.
0: Once you made all these decisions and you're making more product, what was the pricing model you used to figure out what you were going to charge customers?
1: At that point, we weren't wholesaling. So we went through the SBA, which was amazing, and they helped us to price things. By one, you can't price anything until you know your cost. And I've met so many people that, oh, this cost, da, da, da. And when I actually go through it with them, I'm like, you spend spending more than you're actually making. And especially if you want to wholesale, which is 50%. Well, you have to build for that when you actually price it. Because you say $7. Then you try to wholesale, and you're wholesaling that $7 at $3.50 and it cost you $4 to make. And I had a friend who was losing money on every time he wholesale. So you had to build that in. And thankfully, because we took the classes from the SBA, we built our cost and then we rounded up and we made sure that we had enough of a cushion so that we could wholesale and we could have distributor pricing, which is even less than wholesaling because they're ordering in bigger quantities. Because it's very hard to raise the prices after. You'd rather go high and then put it on sale, or you can drop it down, then go too low, and people are giving you the side eye. But you're not going from five dollars to seven dollars unless you tell them, well, hey, you know, are you using different ingredients? Why are we paying seven now? You can't say, Well, I just didn't calculate it right at the beginning. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta really know those numbers before you put those prices on. And you're also gonna do competitor pricing. You're gonna look at other people in your industry and see what they're charging and see how that goes against your costs. Like, does that seem about in the realm? And then you have to know your market and what your market will bear. Certain areas or certain people, you know that you can charge more. Your audience will pay more. Certain people, you may not. So you have to know where you're located, what your market is, and what your audience is going to pay for like-minded items that you're selling.
0: Right. And part of that is really identifying your ideal customer. It's nice to have like that dream customer that kind of looks good on paper and who's consistent, who understands the mission and is there for it like totally there for it. How many SKUs do you have now?
1: Um, We have about 46, way too many. And I pared that down. Uh, I pared it down. I did add SKUs during the pandemic. I had to do a little pivot, added some things that I knew people wanted. And thankfully it was good. But I also think those are going to be limited edition type of things. But um, I definitely tell people, start smaller. Don't add so many things. Like we only really have eight or nine products. But then they come in so many different varieties. Like that's what I would have cut down. But now my audience, that customer is used to that. And every time I look at my numbers, like, okay, this can go, they're not having it. So even like pineapple is like a big thing. Like I hardly sold any pineapple. So I went to take pineapple off the line and people email me. They were just too upset. So what I did is I offer pineapple at the Pineapple Summer Squash once a year, every June. And we sell oo gobs of pineapple. And then that's it. It's gone until next year. So there are other ways you can add things like that. But I would definitely recommend start sleek and lean and don't have so many skews. I am paring down.
0: But I think because scent is such an important part of the puka business, that is the thing that people want the variety in, that they like the variety in because that makes it fun. Oh, I'm feeling, you know, I'm pineapple today. I'm feeling whatever. You know, you're feeling lots of different ways and it's a way to indulge those moods in a fun way. Exactly.
1: It's hard to have three different scents and say, fit yourself into that category. We know even as women and men, you know, there are just various scents that you can't just have them. So I'm trying to work on it, but obviously 20 years and I still have a lot of them, I'm not working that hard on it.
0: (laughs) But it's working for you. So, you know, you have to look at that. Like, are you making them in a space now? Tell me about that.
1: Well, we have products that we sell in Whole Foods. We have those manufactured for us. Uh, The smaller things and website things we do make on premise. We have a warehouse and we have production people and they make those things. You know, when we're ready to scale, if we're going to scale into other large stores, our manufacturer will probably take those things over that are going to go into the biggest stores. So we're We're making handmade for a website, things like that. But when it gets bigger, we go over to our manufacturer, who actually we love because he's a small run manufacturer and he understands natural products that we don't use preservatives. So he works with us really well.
0: How hard was it to find the right manufacturer? He is probably the
1: third. And just like I said, the first ones at the beginning uh, back then wanted large runs. And when you have that many SKUs and you have to do 10,000 pieces of each, I'm not ready for that. The minimums were just way too high. And a lot of them also back then didn't really recognize natural products. No preservatives, no this, no that. So it was harder for them to make some things like that at the quantities that we needed. So we went through a couple of places and then another friend of mine said, you know, I have a manufacturer and this gentleman, his big manufacturing is cement. He does cement. He does stuff for air conditioning. He's a scientist and he's an amazing manufacturer. And he wanted to get into the beauty industry for his kids and grandkids. He wanted to leave that to them, something that they'd be interested. So he really started getting into beauty. I was maybe his third beauty client. So he set up a whole new separate beauty manufacturing arm to his place. And he's like my grandpa now. And he teaches me. It's truly a blessing.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, he's amazing.
0: You have this amazing community. You know, you capture these emails, you have people who follow you, whether you're in store, online, at retail, in Whole Foods, but they're engaged with the brand. How would you go about building this community?
1: When I first got sick and started the business and did all that, and I started changing my diet, I started to feel better. But then I did start to feel bad a couple of years later. And eight years after we started the business, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So it's been a journey, but I have a wonderful holistic doctor and I'm trying to combat it holistically and spiritually and anything I could throw in there, I try and do. But that has become a big part of the brand for me why I make the products because they are aligned with how I feel and how I'm fighting this illness. So one day I was having just a really bad MS day. I was like, I know that there are other people going through the same thing. So I grabbed a couple of friends of mine on Facebook and I said, I'm starting a group called the best life tribe, get in here with me because I need a couple of people so that I can open this group up. And I said, I'm going to just talk about mind work and food and diet and everything that was just affecting me through the MS. And I'm going to just see if other women feel that they want to share in here too. And that group started with 20 of us, and now it's 5,000 women. It wasn't really started as a puka group. And I realized that halfway in, somebody said, well, since you have pukas, and other people were like, what's puka? And then a couple of people were like, she owns puka? I was like, wow. <laughs> they don't even know this is a puka group. But I wasn't doing so much selling of puka into there. This was really the puka arm that was more focused on health and wellness and healing and things like that. Sometimes I would go in there and say, hey, guys, we're having a sale. But it was a very soft sell in there because that really wasn't the purpose. But then I started advertising it in our Puka newsletter and say, hey, guys, come on over and join the Best Life Tribe. And we started to get a lot more people that were Puka people. And they would sort of educate the people who weren't. So it was really a nice mix of a holistic wellness community and my Puka people. And I can say that as a small business, you have to build a community. Whether it's on Facebook or via your newsletter or something, you have to have a community because that community saved my business during the pandemic. You know, when the pandemic first hit, and you know what, stopped me because, you know, I can go on. Oh, no,
0: no. This is one of my questions. So let's just get to it now. Like how the pandemic impacted your business. So let's talk about the role of that engaged community turned out to be.
1: When the pandemic first hit, I remember we were at Puka and at our warehouse place. They actually sent around a notice that, you know, they were shutting down. So like everybody else, I didn't really know what to do. So I instantly put a sign up on the website. We're closed. So I had the website down. And then a friend of mine was like, girl, you better open up that website because somebody might buy something. I was like, you know what? You're right. But initially I shut the website down and I just went into that Best Life tribe. I didn't know what to do at that point. So I was like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to serve in the tribe. So I talked about wellness. I talked about us being scared, what we should do. Our tribe numbers actually really doubled during the pandemic because people were looking for some information. They wanted to feel healthy. You know, they just wanted a healthy wellness community. And I realized at that point, they didn't want body butter and they didn't want perfume. They wanted some health tips and wellness tips and things like that. So having that community was a great place for me to be able to just still feel like I was keeping my business alive, but just talk to people. So I love CMOS. I'm like the CMOS queen and I'm always taking something. So I was talking about doing a demonstration for the tribe. And one of the girls in there said, you know, do you sell the Seymour's? And I was like, no, you know, we we don't sell Seymour's gel. I don't want to get into that. I said, but you know what? If you want a little kit, just email me and I'll make you a little kit. I got 65 emails that night. I was like, what? Excuse me. (laughs) Yeah. So I went back to Puka and we started going in limited one at a time. And I had a wonderful CMOS distributor. I put CMOS kits. I had our Soaper make CMOS facial soap because it's full of vegan collagen, so it's amazing. And then we just sold the raw CMOS. And we were selling so much CMOS. They would come in and they would buy CMOS, and then they grab a butter on their way out. They'd buy CMOS and two perfumes. But the basis was the CMOS for health. I also showed them how they could use it as a face mask. And that was something I was never going to have that on the line. That was part of the tribe and wellness. And I didn't keep that out of Puka, but it was just different. So that community told me what they wanted. And when I tell you, they were buying almost like $1,500, $1,600 worth of CMOS a week. And that is really what kept the business afloat during those times. So that was amazing. But having that community, one, to go into, two, for the feedback. And they told me what they wanted. And they told me how they would support. And they did it. So
0: I love my tribe. Yeah, well, I'm in that tribe. I know. I watch the activity and I see you out there hiking and I'm like, oh, one day I'll get to that. It is a really vibrant community that doesn't feel preachy, which is hard to do in a lot of ways. I mean, you know stuff and oftentimes people know stuff and they just want to tell you everything and tell you how to do it. But I love that they told you what they needed and you responded to the two-way street. Well, let's talk about whole foods how it ended up being sold in whole foods
1: that was another i call them pride to the side moments like slinging ribs at the rib joint when i'm a vegetarian (laughs) but it landed me my first boutique and a friend of mine when i started the business that worked at sony and i was gone they're like come back and show us what you're doing i was like "Eh." so you know i mean i was living the life at sony do i want to go back and tell them that i'm making oils And again, this is just ego, which needs to be tapped down at all times, especially if you're an entrepreneur, because you are the mouth of your business. So I was like, look, I need to pay my rent this month. If I go to Sony, they might like some stuff. They might buy some stuff and put some money in my pocket. So I went back, set up my table, and they were gracious. They were my friends. So they bought and they were like, oh, this is great. And the woman who took my job after I left said, you know what? I have a great friend who works at Whole Foods. You should talk to him. She set that up, and from there, that's how we're now in sixty-five Whole Food stores.
0: Sixty-five! Wow, that's great. Had I
1: not put my pride to the side and gone back, like that was a personal connection and following up. But I, I realize I tell that story so much, and people think like I went there and I met with the guy, and they're like sixty-five. There was a lot of stuff in between. There was insurance, and there was getting ready. But the opportunity came because I did something that wasn't as Flashy and great. I went back to show people what I was doing and be the mouth of my business, and a great opportunity came out of it. And you never know where those opportunities are going to come. So everybody's waiting for the big break or the big this. They're usually smaller little things that lead to big things
0: and may not be really pretty to start necessarily. And I can feel you on that when you've worked in an industry or had positions that are very high profile, very flashy. I can relate to that and. You position yourself differently as an entrepreneur because you're everybody. I had a guest who said, you know, (laughs) her father, like, swept the floors, filled the prescriptions. He was the delivery person with security. Like, you know, you're everything that your business needs until you can hire people. So it is a humbling experience, but it's a necessary one because it makes you figure out what's important. How did you come to be on QVC and HSN?
1: That was a grant like I said, there was so much goodwill during the pandemic for small businesses, especially small female businesses. There was a lot going on if you chose to take advantage of it and get out there. And if you were able to do a pivot and go to more of an e-commerce space, there was some opportunity. So people were sending me grants, little things every day, all day. Four o'clock in the morning, I got a text from one of my friends, like, oh, fill this grant out. Literally, I opened it up on my phone. It's in the dark, and I'm filling out this grant. I didn't even know what it's for. It's for a curate. And I filled it out, and then I forgot about it. And maybe two weeks later, I get a call and say, Hey, Miss Fitch, you filled out this grant, and we looked over your story, and we've chosen you. I like, Oh my goodness, that's free. And they were like, Well, you know, as part of the grant, we are the company that owns QVC and HSN, and you'll appear on QVC live two times and two times on HSN. I was like, What? It was an amazing opportunity. When you talk about the big guy helping the little guy, they were amazing. They gave us like teams, we were on their podcast, they filmed videos for us, Um, we were on air live, and their goal was to push their audience to learn about and try small businesses. They did not want any profit, you weren't selling things through QBC. it was pure promotion for you from them. So I was on in September, September and October, And I'm sitting here on Christmas Day with my mom. And we were actually on Zoom because we were separated. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you're on QBC. They played it again. And I had the best retail Christmas Day that I've ever had. Nobody ever buys e-commerce on Christmas Day. They just ran it. And they took all of us. And I think there were maybe 30 to 40 Black female-owned businesses. And now we're in a mentorship program. So we have a team that works with us. We meet with them every week for three months, and we address problems, concerns, and how to scale our businesses. So they really came through for small businesses. It was such an amazing opportunity.
0: It's really interesting, you know, when we talk about like the social justice reckoning, how companies have responded. This is an example of really putting your money where your mouth is. Because it is really difficult to actually get on QVC and HSN in terms of the way that they vet products. So for them to identify brands and give this opportunity to Black female-owned brands, and then to come back and say, okay, let's teach you how to actually get on. Not only get on our platform, but to get onto larger retail platforms. Let's show you all the best practices that'll make you win. So that's not even a one and done. That's like an um, investment in the businesses that they found. And I think that's admirable.
1: Yeah. I really feel like it's a heart mission for them
0: because they could have just
1: stopped at that, but they went on, they put us on the podcast. They gave so much. And even after it was over, they were like, well, let's teach them some more and mentor them. So truly a blessing.
0: What is the unsung skill or skills that you need to be an entrepreneur?
1: I mean, I come back to the kindergarten things, the patience, because everyone sees somebody's story and they want it there and they want it now, but they don't realize what people had to go through to get there. So it leads people to either quit before their dream is realized because they feel like it was taking too long or just be you know, very unhappy in what they're doing. I think you have to find the joy in what you're doing. I think you have to keep that joy. And you have to just have some patience and you have to have vision because everybody's vision isn't the same. Everybody doesn't want to be a billionaire. So I think you have to know what your vision is and have a lot of patience. Well, I always say the three P's, prayer, persistence, and perseverance. And that's what has worked for me
0: is to keep going. You started Puka 20 years ago. Would you consider it a clean beauty brand? And what do you think of the clean beauty movement now?
1: I love the clean beauty movement. I think it definitely aligns with me and the way I live and the way I eat and those type of things like the vegetarian go green and things like that. But what I do like about it is simplicity, because just like the reason I started the tribe is I don't know all the answers. And I think when you're over somebody's head, as far as you've got to do it this way, and it's got to be that way, and I'm an expert, people, they don't want to do it. They lose interest because they feel like I'll never be like that. So everything from me is attainable baby steps, very simple. I'm not the expert. We're just doing as best as we can. And to me, that's what that clean beauty brand is to me. It's just, it's simple. It's just trying to do your best, eat your best, look your best. At Puka, we do use fragrances. And that is a part of, I was a girly girl 20 years ago. And I enjoyed the different scents and smelling good. Um, we have evolved and we have them now created for us. So they're all paraben-free and phthalate-free. And I am actually adding more SKUs of more of a essential oil line. I'm actually currently in school to become a certified aromatherapist. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to have a little more essentials, but I'm keeping them both. You know, I'm keeping both sides for whoever wants it, because even though they do have some fragrances there to me, as good fragrances as they can be, and underneath that, it's still five ingredients.
0: Tell me about the work you've done with the Girl Scouts, teaching entrepreneurship.
1: It's funny because we talked about me being a teacher. I like to teach the stuff I want to teach, <laughs> but I have a circle of entrepreneurs in the beauty business and I share my space with a soaper. She's a good friend of mine. She makes soap. So we go on these beauty entrepreneur mentorship cruises once a year, sort of like a trade organization thing. When we came back from the cruise, we were like, all right, how do we reach young girls and teach them about entrepreneurship? And just about holistic, healthier eating, natural living. So we're like, all right, if we want to get to young girls, where do you go? Girl Scouts. So we called our local Girl Scouts and made a meeting. We told them we were beauty entrepreneurs. And we just sat down with them. We asked them, what kind of class would we have to put together to teach these girls? And what components would it have to have for you to, one, sign on to work with us and for them to get a badge? So they told us all the things that the girls needed to do. They had to have community and they had to learn certain herbs. And then they found the badge that they can get, like an entrepreneur business badge. So we started a separate company called Beauty That Cares and Beauty That Cares is a workshop that's designed for young girls where they learn entrepreneurship and they learn natural products. So they come in and they have to work as a team, and as a business, and they start their own beauty business. They name it together and then they learn about ingredients and then they make the uh, products for their business. You know, it's a two and a half hour workshop, but they do everything from naming to logo to marketing to making the products. And then when they're done, they get an entrepreneur business badge from Girl Scouts. And they have such a great time. And to date, we've serviced over a 1,000 girls in the local area. And a lot of them are Black and Brown Girl Scouts from underserved areas. But I mean, there are Girl Scouts from everywhere. And we actually decided we wanted to do our first beauty camp. So in 2019, we went to our local school system, and we gave them a presentation, and they put Beauty That Cares as one of their day camps. So we were excited. So 2019, we did our first Beauty That Cares day camp. And we were going to do it in 2020, but COVID. So we're hoping 2021 we'll be able to do our Beauty That Cares camp again this summer. But that's definitely a love business for us.
0: I'm still in awe that one of my girls from the Beauty Biz Camp program in 2013 has her own skincare line now, that she developed a CBD skincare line. So I feel like, okay, this kind of work is really important to have our girls see possibility in beauty and to be creators. Because even if you don't want to be a creator, you understand the process. And if you want to work in business, that applies to any business. But 1,000 Girls is so impressive. You should maybe next fall do like a little reunion or something because you'll be surprised what kind of impact you've had on these young women. That's a good idea, a reunion. It is. I found that my girls, you know, from different times, they keep in touch with each other.
1: Wow. So they've created a community from your camp.
0: Yeah. You never know what kind of impact you can have on someone. And programs like these are really critical for just planting seeds and, and changing lives.
1: Not even just the entrepreneurial side, even just teaching them about the ingredients. It just gets their minds thinking of how there are other ways, other avenues. So it's exciting to see them open up.
0: And I think that Gen Z and maybe Gen Alpha are gonna be even more interested in natural ingredients than millennials.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's gonna skip over the millennials a little bit. You're right, it's gonna go to the next one.
0: Yeah, I think there are some millennials, there's a portion, but Gen Z are the ones that like look at the labels. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What's the first beauty product you ever purchased? Oh, Nivea. <laughs> <It's> a,
1: <laughs> and Avon,
0: Sweet Honesty Perfume. Okay. What's the last beauty product you tried?
1: Um, I just actually bought an Argon eye oil from Trader Joe's. I'm a very outdoorsy type of girl. I'm like, if I can get everything out of Trader Joe's, I will. So this Argon eye oil, I just tried it. So I'm going to see if it actually works. It might be simple and 10 bucks, but
0: maybe it'll be amazing. What's the beauty advice? What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone?
1: Live by especially now is have a skincare routine. Cuz I found a lot of my friends, I don't know, maybe black women of a certain age, we weren't raised on a skincare routine. We were raised on, you know, wash your face, put a little Vaseline on and keep it moving. But I went on YouTube to find a toner and these millennials are killing it. They have home steamers and this and that. You know, we're all under this guise that black doesn't crack, but you know what? It needs some help. So (laughs) I've developed a skincare routine and no matter what the routine is, just make sure you're consistently doing it morning and night. And now I have a routine and I definitely see a difference in my skin.
0: What do you leave alone?
1: Imperfections, whether it be scars that I've had, stretch marks, things like that. Like things that I know I cannot fix. I don't look at it. I just leave it alone and don't look at it. So there are a lot of things that I don't like that I just leave it alone.
0: I'm good. I hear you. Body scrub or face mask?
1: Body scrub. Yes. That all over? Oh, yes. Body scrub.
0: And what's the beauty trend you went all in on when you were younger that makes you laugh now?
1: I don't even know if this is a beauty trend for my stomach. What was the preparation (laughs) age
0: Want to make it flat?
1: Make my stomach flat with saran wrap. I don't even think that's beauty. I probably shouldn't even say that. But you're supposed to put that on and exercise with it and your stomach was going to be beautiful. I did that for almost a year. And I probably just got burns from Preparation age. That was about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had not heard that on this show before. So this is a good one and a new one. <laughs> who was your beauty icon when you were growing up? And who deserves that status now? Jane Kennedy. Ooh, this is the second Jane Kennedy we've gotten on this show. She just was everything
1: I wanted to be. She was beautiful. She was brown. She was my icon then. And who should be a beauty icon now? Classic Michelle Obama. I just love her confidence, her ease. She's just relaxed, but just beautiful. I just love her inside and out.
0: If somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you give them? Be true to yourself.
1: And that sounds very cliche, but like I said, had I not taking that advice from my mother, I would be doing something so different with my life. I just would not be happy. So following that path of art and design and things like that, just being on the right path opened up all these other doors. You know, did I stay in art and design? No, but that's where the path was leading me. And if you stay on your path, it's going to lead you on some interesting places. Um, Just be true to yourself and don't be afraid to take those chances. If you feel like this is something I really need to do or really want to do, step out on faith and do it. Because I don't want to have any regrets.
0: Oh, Dawn, this has been an amazing chat.
1: This was fun. Glad to talk to you.
0: That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here.